we've done here is we talked about some of the critical raw materials that are in electronics. And so what we're doing over in our workshop is repairing electronics, and part of the reason for repairing is that we keep some of these critical materials in use longer. So yeah. what this display is about, if we take any of the different materials here, you can find out like, where they're found, their recycling rates, which you see about their recycling rates are about zero right now. Because there's terbium. Okay. So terbium is one of those rare earths. Most of it comes from China. And like 2011, 2012, they put quotas on how much could come out of China. And they became really interesting to see what else you could uh, get terbium from. Or use it longer through repairing and longer oh, life. Oh, wow. Sort of so yeah, it's, it's part of uh, what we would call a circular economy idea. Yeah. Welcome to Advancing Sustainable Solutions, the IIIW podcast. We are the International Institute for Industrial and Environmental Economics at Lund University, and this episode will be hosted by Sophie Sandin and Stephen Curtis. Welcome to this episode of Advancing Sustainable Solutions. Hi, Stephen. Hi, Sophie. Yes, another episode. You know, it's funny, as I was walking up the stairs to record today's episode, and I dropped my phone. And I had one of those panic moments where you think, oh no, this is going to be the time that my, my phone breaks, the screen cracks, whatever it is. Luckily, everything was fine, but it was really interesting for me to reflect on this as we're recording a podcast today about the circular economy and repair and reuse and so on. So very fitting, I think, as we begin today's podcast episode. Yeah, a very nice uh, segue in there. Uh, so today we're going to discuss meaningful ways we can seek to reuse and repair everyday items, like your phone, for example. Think about this. If we find ways to reuse, repair, repurpose, refurbish, remanufacture, resell, or recycle household items like clothes, mobile phones, and furniture, we can reduce our overall consumption. This reduction in consumption leads to a reduction in resource use, which reduces greenhouse gas emissions and safeguards Earth's ecosystems. Sophie, I have to say, I'm really looking forward to today's episode, which places consumption at the forefront of the discussion and provides some tangible solutions for us and our listeners to reduce our environmental impact. As many of you may remember, my research focuses on reducing our overall consumption, something that I try to do in my personal life. Maybe I do this by shopping at a packaging-free store in Malmö called Graham. I do this by trying to buy clothes, furniture, or electronics at secondhand shops here in southern Sweden. And I'm also trying to repair the things that break instead of just throwing them away. One way that you and I can reduce our consumption in this way is by engaging in the circular economy. As such, the circular economy will be the focus of today's episode. Yeah, and at the beginning of this episode, you heard from Jessica Luth-Richter, a fellow PhD candidate here at our institute. She's a volunteer at the Repair Café in Malmö, and uh, she spent some time sitting down and talking with some of the people that came in to repair some of the goods at the Repair Café. You'll hear more from her throughout the episode. So the context of this episode is we want to discuss the circular economy and then also talk about some of the things that you can do at home, in particular in engaging in repair cafes in your community. The reason why we've chosen the circular economy to frame today's episode is because here at our institute, we're launching a massive open online course known as a MOOC. This MOOC is called the Circular Economy, Sustainable Resource Management, and launches on the Coursera platform starting on Monday, November 12th. 
Our institute, together with partners from around Europe, have developed this course with the aim to provide skills and tools for analyzing circular business models. The course also presents many cases of managing materials for sustainability to help promote development of our own ideas as consumers within the economy to become more involved in the transition to a circular economy. I've actually signed up to take the course, hoping to learn a few things myself, and I look forward to engaging with the video lectures and case materials over the next weeks. Great! Maybe to help you prepare for the MOOC, Stephen, we could begin to discuss ways to think more circularly. What do you say? <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm in. So, when was the last time you fixed something that was broken? Uh, I can think of a few examples off the top of my head. Maybe this happens to you, but after several months of wearing a pair of jeans, um, oftentimes I actually wear down the fabric in, in the crotch, and it eventually rips. So a few months back, I had a pair of my favorite jeans mended. Yeah, good example. Why did you decide to fix them? Yeah, uh, well, they were my favorite pair of jeans, and uh, I found it hard to part with them. And of course, I'd like my answer to be that it was the more sustainable solution, as opposed to buying a new pair of jeans. And, and of course, that was probably part of it. But I have to say, it was also because the pair of jeans I'd fixed, they were wicked expensive. And I, and I knew that by having them fixed, it would save me money in the long run. And that is okay. Often there are co-benefits associated with behaving and consuming more sustainably. This means that by thinking circularly, there are multiple benefits including reducing resource use, which leads to cleaner air, healthier ecosystems, and often saves you money. Let's hear a clip from the introduction of the new MOOC, where Philip Peck, an associate professor at our institute, summarizes the rationale as to why we need a circular economy. More and more governments and businesses are now really concerned about the increasing pressures on our global resources due to human activities. Our economies and our systems of production and consumption are stressing and damaging Earth's natural systems. We use enormous amounts of raw material and energy to create the billions of products that sustain our lives. At the same time, we send huge volumes of waste into the very atmosphere, waters, land and ecosystems that are vital to our existence. The underlying problem lies with our linear economies. These have excessively high material and energy consumption and eject large proportions of material as waste. Something has to change. In order to understand the circular economy, we must first understand our current linear economy. In the linear economy, we take, make, consume and dispose of useful resources. For example, we take by mining minerals and extracting other natural resources from the Earth's surface. We make by manufacturing products from these resources. We consume these products as we go about our daily activities. And we dispose by throwing them away where they go into a landfill or are incinerated. In contrast, the circular economy suggests we move beyond this linear approach to producing and consuming goods in our economy. The linear economy becomes circular by seeing value in the waste we dispose as materials that can be used in remanufacturing of products. In particular, the circular economy may extend product lifetimes through reuse or repair. Furthermore, when goods become waste because they stop working, break or reach the end of their useful life, in a circular economy, this waste would be used in the remanufacturing of new products, reducing the need for mining new natural resources. This is called closing the loop. A loop is thus, in this case, the circling of materials from their extraction to their use, to their reuse, 
and so on. If we close the loop, then no material is wasted or discarded. So research has identified many different strategies to realize a circular economy through improving the ways that we take, make, consume, and dispose of resources. These strategies include narrowing resource loops, slowing resource loops, and closing resource loops. The first strategy, narrowing resource loops, sees products designed and manufactured with the fewer number of resources, or by substituting virgin materials with reused or recycled parts. The second strategy, slowing resource loops, seeks to increase the product's useful lifespan. This may be done by designing more durable or higher quality products, which enables reuse through secondhand and facilitates the repair of these products. Finally, the third strategy, closing resource loops, sees products designed for disassembly. Products that are disassembled more easily allows for more efficient remanufacturing through using component parts or more efficient recycling by components to be used in the production of new goods. Yeah, or in so many words, a product that is never made has no impact on the environment. A mineral that is never mined will not pollute or degrade ecosystems. The value of a product never disposed of will not be undervalued. So let's try to think about this by considering our mobile phones. Many of us have a smartphone these days, but do you know what's in it in terms of the type of materials? We leave it to you, our listeners, to make a guess. How many elements do you think you find in your smartphones? All right, time's up. We hope you have come up with an answer. Of course, the answer will differ a bit depending on different phones, but as an example, an average iPhone contains no less than 75 elements. In contrast, the human body contains only 30 elements. Phones contain gold, silver, chromium, copper, lead, zinc, iron, cobalt, palladium, tantalum, uh, things I can barely pronounce, and the list just goes on and on. It's quite a lot for something as tiny as a phone. Or what do you say, Stephen? Yeah, indeed, I agree. A bit simplified, you could say that an average smartphone consists of 40% metals, 40% plastics, and 20% ceramic materials and trace minerals. These are found in different compositions in the circuit boards, in the LCD displays, the battery, the camera, the speaker, the microphone, and the plastic casings. I think when you start to think about it, it's easy to imagine that these uh, smartphones contain nearly 75 elements. Some of these materials are rare earth materials, which are dispersed throughout the Earth's crust, making them difficult to mine. Yet, these rare earth materials are essential in many of the products we've come to rely on, including televisions, computers, and mobile phone screens, fiber optics, and lasers. Furthermore, these materials may also be conflict materials. Conflict materials are extracted in conflict zones and are sold in order to prolong the fighting in a given region. For example, the mining of columbite tantalite, also known as coltan, was used in funding the Second Congo War. Coltan is the metal ore from which the element tantalum is extracted, which is used in many products, including airbags, GPS, hearing aids, and consumer electronics. Yeah. And for some of the other materials in your phones, we're already reaching the economically feasible level of extraction in mining. This means that looking into the not very distant future, 
there would be a significantly lower or even stopped influx of certain materials, which we currently rely on in manufacturing products we have come to take for granted. I want to use this and make a comparison to what could be extracted from our phones that are currently laying broken in our drawers at home. Steven, do you have a, a broken I think phone? I, I think I currently have two phones in a drawer at my house. Yeah. And what about you? Yeah, at least one. Okay. Perhaps you, our listener, also have a phone lying broken somewhere. I want to use this and just make a little example here. In 2016, we discarded an estimated 435 kilotons of mobile phones around the world. That is 435,000 tons of mobile phones. That is a disturbingly big number. It's so big that I wanted to put it in relation to something tangible. So I started thinking of massive monuments like the Statue of Liberty or the Eiffel Tower. Steven, can you imagine that the amount of discarded phones in one year outweighs the total weight of the Statue of Liberty by 1,933 times? Just line up 1,933 Statues of Liberty next to each other and they would correspond to the weight of the discarded mobile phones in one year. That's crazy. That's crazy. Or you can do the same and add 60 Eiffel Towers. Wow. The Eiffel Tower is apparently significantly <laughs> more heavy. But anyway, 60 Eiffel Towers, just mobile phones. And here comes the, the interesting part or the disturbing part. If we were to recycle and salvage just the gold from one ton of all these mobile phones, 300 grams of gold could be extracted. If we extrapolate that into this 435,000 tons, there would be 130 tons of gold to be recovered if we would recycle it all. And that's just the gold, not the other 74 or so elements hidden in there. So it sounds like there's certainly a need to think about more circular approaches to how we consume, not only for our mobile phones, but of course other consumer electronics and, and other products that we use in our daily lives. But let's continue with this example of our phones as we consider the three strategies of the circular economy, narrowing, slowing, and closing resource loops. Narrowing resource loops sees mobile phone companies producing smartphones with fewer materials. Therefore, instead of phones containing 75 different elements, this may be reduced by 20 to 50%. Furthermore, recognizing the rare earth and conflict materials within these phones, these companies may produce new phones using recycled materials. By slowing resource loops, manufacturers design phones to last longer in contrast to releasing a new phone every year. Furthermore, we as consumers use our current phones for a longer period, challenging the societal narrative of needing the latest and greatest. Lastly, by closing resource loops, our phones are disassembled. Screws, camera lenses, and other useful component parts are retained and used in the remanufacturing of new phones. And in the materials that cannot be reused, these are recycled and used to produce new products elsewhere in the economy. And uh, simple as it may seem, executing all these three strategies successfully would require coordination among policymakers, businesses and consumers. Government must incentivize businesses to adopt circular strategies in how they design and manufacture the products. Businesses must educate their consumers in how to use and dispose of products efficiently and consumers must use products longer, repair when possible, and recycle appropriately. 
At our institute, our research themes pertaining to policy, business, and consumption consider the circular economy from a multitude of perspectives and disciplines. It is this research and expertise that is discussed in the MOOC, in partnership with other actors from around Europe. Next, you'll hear from Carl Vranken, Research Manager of Sustainable Materials at VITO, who is among the partners contributing to the MOOC. While inner circles are a way to retain value by extending the lifetime of the actual parts and products, so they can cycle longer in the economy before returning to their material basics. Inner circles are shorter inner loops that can be achieved, for example, through repair, reuse and remanufacturing. By repairing a product, we can create a very small loop that feeds right back into the use phase. Repairing can extend product lifetime and retain value in the loop for longer. One easy way that you as an individual can contribute to a circular economy is to extend the lifetime of the products you use by repairing them when broken. I shared the example of the time that I repaired a pair of jeans, extending their lifetime. Similarly, you can repair a multitude of things from clothes to furniture, from mobile phones to vacuums. We accompanied one of our fellow PhD researchers as she volunteers at a repair cafe in Malma. We are now in the basement under Stoppel in Malmö, and I'm here with uh, Jessica Ludrichter. She's also a researcher at uh, our institute. Jessica, can you tell me uh, a bit of uh, what's going on here? Yeah, well, actually a lot of things are going on here in the basement. So the thing that I'm involved in is Repair Café Malmö. That's a repair by volunteers event that's trying to repair electronics. And this particular repair event is also part of a special week, and they're trying to highlight environmental themes. And this year's theme is Fix It. So it's also highlighting how we can all be activists around environmental issues by repairing what we have and using it for as long as we can to make sure that all of the impacts that happen in producing it are making it useful for as long as possible and offsetting getting new things. And I see you have a lot of interesting stuff here on the table. There are a lot of gadgets on the table and there's a lot of action happening here, so a lot of people repairing. And I mean, what's also happening is that this movement is also about community repair. So people are repairing with people who are here as volunteers who might know something about repair and like repairing. So it's a, it's a fun activity. There's music in the background, there's fika and things to eat as well. This episode is about circular economy. Where do you see that initiatives like uh, Repair Café fits into the grander scheme of circular economy. So circular economy is about narrowing, slowing, and closing loops. And here we're really talking about slowing loops, keeping things in uh, in a loop longer. And that's where repair comes in. We also talk about, in, in our MOOC as well, individual actions and societal actions. And I think Repair Café is kind of at the nexus of both of those things. You have uh, individuals coming to repair, but you're also have individuals sharing information with other individuals and peers and trying to normalize repair behavior, which in effect helps us get closer to a more circular society. Thanks, Jessica, for inviting us along to the Repair Café in Malmö at Stapel. I gotta say, it was a good opportunity to visit, to see how they work, and I was really inspired to see all the people coming there to actually have their stuff fixed. Stephen, you were also swinging by for a short while. Yeah, I had a chance to swing by and visit with some of the volunteers as well as the people that were bringing things. I think what I found so interesting was 
that people were bringing in products that I didn't even think of repairing if it was broken. So for example, I, I saw a, a light fixture that needed to be repaired, a vacuum. Did you see anything that kind of struck you as, as interesting to be fixed? There was this one story about, uh, it was a woman, she brought in a lamp and she wanted it fixed because it had belonged to a friend of hers who had passed away. And for her, I think she had this very emotional reason for fixing it. Maybe she did not care for the lamp just because of the lamp, but because it had belonged to a dear friend of hers. And I thought that was a beautiful reason for wanting to fix something. If you're interested in finding out more about Stoppel and their activities, you can have a look at their websites. It's www.stpln.org. Moreover, maybe you have something that needs to be repaired at home. You can see if there is a repair cafe in your neighborhood by visiting the website www.repaircafe.org. There are currently 1,633 repair cafes registered on the website around the world. If there's not a listing on the websites, check your city's website, as many cities now have similar initiatives not catalogued. And if there's no repair cafes near you, maybe you have the ambition to start your own. The Guardian has a great article, which we'll link to on our website. This article discusses how you can get started with your very own repair cafe. Furthermore, there's a great how-to manual available through the Restart Project, which can be found on their website at www.therestartproject.org. There, they also have a wiki where people have asked and answered several questions about how you go about starting a repair cafe and how you may go about approaching repairing different products. Furthermore, I want to point out a really great resource where you can get repair manuals and repair guides to hundreds of different items that you may find in your home. The platform is called iFixit. You should check out their website too, www.ifixit.com. Also, you can often find some small funding available to kickstart initiative in your neighborhood. There is some funding available for repair cafes to get started through the Repair Cafe Foundation. Moreover, often your city may be willing to provide space and some funding for initiative to get started. Most importantly, it is about getting the word out. Talk with your family, friends, neighbors, and coworkers. Everyone can relate to the junk that accumulates in our homes that is in need of repair. If you have not had time to write all these addresses down, we will post links to all these resources on our website. You will find them on www.iiee.lu.se slash podcast. We want to play you one more short audio clip from the forthcoming MOOC, which launches on November 12th. Next, you'll hear from Saskia Manshoven, a researcher investigating sustainable resources at Vito. Circular economy strategies have the potential to contribute to a more efficient resource use and the reduction of primary resource needs. But it is important to remember that it's not just a matter of making our consumption patterns more circular. We also need to think about the overall level of our resource use. And I think what Saskia says is so important for us to reflect upon. It's not only about implementing circular strategies and how we consume, but we also have to think about our overall level of consumption. In a report released by the World Wildlife Fund at the end of October, 
Scientists say humans have contributed to a 60% reduction of animal populations since 1970. Freshwater habitats are the worst hit, with populations having collapsed by 83%. This means that there are 83% fewer fish and other marine species present in our oceans today compared to 1970. The report was produced by a team of nearly 60 scientists from around the world. The overexploitation of natural resources as a result of our unsustainable consumption, especially in more developed countries, is the cause of this catastrophic collapse of animal species. Our unsustainable consumption results in habitat loss, pollution, and climate change, among others, that is contributing to this collapse of animal populations globally. This report is just the latest of a growing chorus of warnings. We must challenge our current linear economy and move towards a more circular economy, one that reduces the overall consumption and sees the value in taking, making, consuming, and disposing of products that allows for the narrowing, slowing, and closing of loops. Yeah, speaking of closing, Stephen, we're already reaching the end of the episode. What do you want listeners to take away? I think what is so cool about behaving more sustainably is that it often has unintended co-benefits. Not only will repairing your products extend their lifetime, which reduces the environmental impact associated with producing new goods, will also save money. And by attending repair cafes, such as the one that Sophie and I attended, it often exposes one to a new community of really cool people. I really enjoyed visiting the repair cafe with Jessica and meeting the volunteers and attendees. Lastly, I know that there is some sense of satisfaction in having your favorite pair of jeans mended. Sophie, what about you? What do you want listeners to take away? Yeah, I think it is important to see the role that the individual has in transitioning to a circular economy. We cannot rely on businesses or governments to do the work that we ourselves must do. I mean, the government will not fix my pair of jeans. I have to be responsible for that myself, and I must want to do that. Business responds to consumer demands, though. And we must demand more durable goods that are designed for reuse, repair, and remanufacturing. And along those lines, we must also seek to extend product lifetimes by seeking out repair cafes and secondhand shops. As individuals, we are just as much as part of the solution. Great, Sophie. Thanks so much. And thanks to everyone that helped to make this episode possible. This includes everyone associated with the MOOC at the IIIEE. The MOOC is produced by Lund University and the IIIEE, together with European partners including VITO, the Geological Survey of Denmark and Greenland, the National Technical University of Athens, Ghent University, and the Delft University of Technology. Funding for this MOOC was made possible by EIT Raw Materials, the European Institute of Innovation and Technology. This MOOC is produced as part of the Greening the Economy series, available on Coursera, together with our other courses. For more information, visit our website, www.iiiee.lu.se, or check us out on the Coursera's website, www.coursera.com. That's www.coursera.com. Yeah, and we also want to say thank you to the MOOC team at the IIIEE, as well as our partners. A special thanks to Jessica Luth-Richter for her support, and to the volunteers and attendees at the Repair Café at Stockholm in Malmö. 
This has been another episode of Advancing Sustainable Solutions. Check back next month, where, in the spirit of the holiday season, we will discuss sharing and the sharing economy. All right, that's it for now. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.